0: Hi there, this is Watching, and you are now listening to the I Choose the Ladder podcast, a podcast for black women on the corporate climb. This episode is brought to you by the climb career summit, which is powered by Weber Shanwick and fueled by Nike. What is the climb? Well, I am so glad that you asked. The climb is an interactive soft skills career summit that was created with ambitious middle career black women in mind. The theme of the 2022 summit, The Great Reshuffle, redefining the corporate dream. So if you're trying to figure out what the next chapter of your career can look like, you want to be in the building. For more information on the climb, head to ictlsummit.com. Again, that's ictlsummit.com. And I look forward to seeing you. In this episode, you meet Lori Spicer-Robertson. Lori is a creative change agent, always pursuing opportunities to transform lives and foster sustainable progress. Formerly, she assumed the role of Vice President of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for Saks Fifth Avenue to design a more inclusive experience for employees, customers, and partners. As a natural connector, she is currently the founder and chief joymaker of an experiential platform and membership community created to reconnect women and mothers to a life of joy called wonder. As a thought leader on women and mothers, diversity, equity, and inclusion, leadership, and authentic joy. She is sought after by companies, universities, and organizations annually to share her narrative. Spicer Robinson is a wife to her fellow community crusader, Eric Robertson, mother to her amazing boys, Liam and Emery, and they all believe in their family motto to live in your vision and not your circumstance. Now, Lori shared so many gems, so make sure you grab your I Choose the Ladder notebook and pen, your favorite beverage, and get ready to get to Lori, thank you so much for being with me today. I am super excited. I know I to you for like a year and a half. And I was like, girl, you're about to be on this podcast. And so yeah, I, am,
1: I respond. I am the person who's like, better late than never. So I'm like, oh, <laughs> I didn't respond to this last
0: year. Let me respond right now. <laughs> um, and I'm really excited about our conversation because um, a good portion of our listener base, like are at a crossroads of thinking about what they want to do professionally. Some of them have side hustles. Some of them are thinking about full-time entrepreneurship. Some of them are thinking about leadership. And I think your career trajectory so far will be incredibly helpful for them. Um, But before we get started, uh, tell us a little bit about your your current job, and then we'll back our way into how you ended up here. Yeah. So my current job, uh, I am the founder and chief joy maker of wonder
1: and most people say one to her because of the way the logo is presented, but it's really just wonder. And I tried to be fancy with the word wonder. Um, and it stands for, and I'll give you background because people are like, well, now tell me more. Why? So the use, because it was really about prioritizing joy for women and mothers. We take care of everything, everyone, except for ourselves, if we even make the list. and so. I have reached that point and I had a conversation with a number of other moms. And so I decided to say, how can we pull our collective resources together to really source an organization that helps us thrive? So that is wonder. Mm -hmm. Um, The her piece is to help you as a mother. Remember that you're a woman first. And so you can't be a great woman. I mean, you can't be a great mother to your children, a great spouse or partner you're not taking care of you and so we mm-hmm. try to make sure we produce content we do partnerships and collaborations we have curated events and then we have this program called the connectorship which is really about near peer mentor program mm-hmm. um so if you're a mother if you're a, a starting entrepreneur you want to send your career you need a connection for a collaboration or you just want genuine connections we find someone who's three to five years ahead of the journey to partner you with so that you too can continue on your path to joy and have a thriving life. So that is what I do with Wonder. I try to source joy for women and mothers everywhere. Um, As you can imagine, we have all kinds of stumbling blocks to get in the way of that. But I am a fervent believer that joy is with us always. It's just a matter of shifting our perspective
0: so that we can source it. Mm, I love that. And before that, you've worked both in corporate spaces and in the nonprofit world. Um, And so how did you, thinking back to the beginning of your career, how did you decide what you would pursue? Yeah.
1: So that's a funny story. Um, I went to school to be a doctor because my family told me the only thing I could be, my family and my high school pushed me and said, we want you to be a doctor, a lawyer, or an executive. Those are your options choose one, choose wisely. Well, in high school, I wanted to be a fashion designer. I used to always sketch um, evening gowns. That was my thing. I have all these old notebooks that now that I have a home, my mother has delivered them to my house, but they are sketches of all of these dresses. And uh, she was a loving dream crusher and said, I'm not paying for you to go to school to do that find something else sustainable because that's what mothers did back then. They wanted you to do better than they did. And so uh, I went to school to be an anesthesiologist. My aunt was an anesthesiologist. She made good money. Um, she told me her schedule was like from six to two, sound like good hours to me. Light work, you know, give a little needle here and there, say hi, have good bedside manner. And then she traveled all the time. So I thought that is what I want to do with my life. I am going to go on that path. And then I was introduced to chemistry my junior year and I had an internship with OBGYN who let me do everything under the sun from deliver a baby uh, to understand STDs at a very um, direct level. And I thought a couple things I don't like. I don't like blood and I don't like needles. So Mm -hmm. probably not the path for me in anesthesiology. And I went back to school. Talked to my advisor and she said, Well, you've always been a writer. You write for the paper, you write for the yearbook. Why don't you go into communications or PR? And I said, I've never even heard of that as a career path. That never crossed my mind. Um, And so I did. I pursued graduate school. I finished my undergraduate degree with business management. She said, You're going to be a leader somewhere. So just go into business management and then we can get you into grad school, into communications and PR. And so That was the beginning of my space, Um, and I worked for the American Association of Colleges of Nursing in D.C. After I graduated uh, grad school from Florida, uh, the director who was at AACN came to Florida often to our nursing school, and that's where I worked for my PR role. And she said, I love that you're doing here. If you ever want to come to D.C., we'll hire you. And I thought, well, look at God, because the only place I want to live after I graduate is D.C. Um, so she hired me and, uh, I like to say that a lot of my jobs are trick bag jobs. They tell you these things and then you get there and you're like, that's not what this job is. Um, and so it was a <laughs> public relations director slash webmaster. And I spent a great deal of my time learning wait, how, how to be that, wait, to- how does that work? I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. But I learned, learned HTML coding and was building background things in the websites and editing journal articles and doing all the things that don't fit with my um, extrovert personality that likes people. Mm -hmm. And so I transitioned. I came back home, which I thought was going to be temporary. And I've been home ever since I met my husband and rest is history of two boys Um, but from there, my career trajectory has been truly a lattice. I tell people, um, mine has not been a ladder. Although when I started work, I thought it was going to be a ladder. I thought, and we're taught this, right? If you do these things, you will continue to go in this straight line. But, you know, as you start work, you, you have relationships with other people, you realize,
0: no, I might jump
1: over here, pursue this, learn a little bit here, um, And so from that trajectory back into Memphis, I worked for, I was tapped to come and work for a regional bank. And that was my introduction into corporate America. Um, Before that, when I first moved home, I worked for our chamber. So it exposed me to all of the top companies that are here in Memphis. And um, you had great relationships because you're constantly having a breakfast, lunch or reception at the chamber for top companies always. but I, I worked for the regional bank and it was such a great breeding ground because I was hired to work in HR, which when he recruited me he was a chief HR officer at the time, he said, hey, you want to join my team? And I was like, tell me more. <laughs> He's like, I work in HR. Do you want to come and be part of our human resources team? And I was like, no, I'm not interested, but thank you. And he said, that's quick. Why? I was like, when I think HR, I think of hiring and firing. I don't want to be the person to do that. No, thank you. And he was like, no, you know, people development. I can see that that's where you, that's one of your strengths. And I was like, oh, I love that. Yes, if that's where you have me, then sign me up for that. And they were creating a role to do executive leadership development, um, change management. And then I was shortly thereafter promoted to do diversity and inclusion. Um, and it was just, it was a really, it was a high, low experience, right? I think coming from a nonprofit, coming from the healthcare industry immediately before that, it was a different culture. And mm. I probably learned about formal mentors and sponsorships in that capacity.
0: Mm. So think, talking about mentors and sponsors, right? So you didn't necessarily, you did not go the path that your family and everyone advised you to do. Which means you didn't necessarily have the network to lean on when things kind of changed professionally. So two questions. First, how diverse was the bank that you worked at when you started in corporate? And then second, um, how did you or did you find mentors to help you navigate a new space?
1: Yeah. So I like to tell people I'm a natural connector and I find people to help fill gaps in my life. So whether you want to be my mentor or not, I'm going to recruit you and suck you in some kind of way. Um, So there were a number of women. I think when I moved back to Memphis um, and when I lived in D.C., I was heavily involved in the Urban League. And so um, I served as our local Urban League Young Professional president when I came back to Memphis. And that gave me inroads to a lot of different connections, mentors, and people who saw that I had a passion for ascending and leadership in the work world, but also in the say community and social impact space. And so I had, I think, a kitchen cabinet for both of those spaces. They didn't always overlap. Um, and so I did have informal mentors to kind of coach me and say,
0: eh, try this. This
1: might not be the best opportunity, or that's a great opportunity. If, you, if it scares you and it challenges you, you should move into it. And So um, your first question really about the bank. So the bank was when I joined 150 years old, it was celebrating its 150 year anniversary, uh, extremely conservative environment, primarily white male led. As you can imagine, that trickled down throughout the organization. Mm -hmm. There was one dynamic leader who did, I think, multicultural banking or diversity banking. No, that's what it was called, diversity banking. And so he had Probably the most racially diverse team in the bank, but outside of that, there were just sprinkles throughout in the other departments.
0: Um, so, what do you think it was about you that made that HR leader say, "Hey, come join my team"? Because I think as people are yeah. thinking about pivots, right? There's a a strategic of like, I have to do this, I have to do, this, I have to go after this. Yeah. Based on how you explained it, this wasn't even something that you pursued. It was somebody. A leader saw something in you whatever that case may be and said hey this person would be an asset to my team and yes. you can't know for sure right because you're not him but if you could right. play miss cleo for a second yeah like, i think it was um that that <laughs> brought you to that person's attention
1: i think so he and i uh before i came to the bank i worked for a regional hospital it was the level one trauma center in the area the number one level one trauma center in the area and um I have been recruited to come there as well. I actually pursued that position, but then I am a natural connector as I shared. So when I realized who the leader was, I went out to find her and introduced myself and said, I'm really interested in this position. Um, And I had a team of allies behind me that knew her that also gave me, um, what do you say? great praise, I think, to encourage her to also hire me for the position. Mm -hmm. And so we, the chief HR officer and I sat on a committee. It was like a local committee that our city had to talk about how do you retain talent here in the South? Um, They were talking about multi-generational talent, but really the focus was on millennials. And that was like the hot word then everyone was like millennial, millennial, millennial. Um, And of course, as the only millennial um, in my hospital team, I was sent to go be on this committee. And it was myself and all of these other executive leaders uh, around the table coming up with ideas on how to retain talent here in Memphis. And so he was on that committee with me, and I think he was exposed just to my way of thinking about how you attract talent, how you develop people when you get there, um, how do you promote them and advance them, but also how do you continue to coach them and have that cycle relationship. Mm -hmm. And so we had gone to lunch just to talk about what were my career aspirations, and I think that is when he said, you know, I've been paying attention to what you shared in this meeting. Um, I'd love for you to consider joining my team mm-hmm. and I share that with people all the time that for so many years and I was just telling this to my husband um, for so many years we are taught that it's if you focus on your education you do well in school you stay on the right path then everything all the other trips will fall in line now I'm not saying no they have two boys and if they ever hear this they are gonna be like mom you said years ago that we didn't have to do that no, I still think education is a great backer. One, it helps you clear your thought. It helps you create a process and understand strategically what you may or may not want to do. I think it's a very exploratory time for you when you're in school. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for me, what has served me very well is relationship building. It's, pr- it's my one superpower. I think if someone had to ask me, what's the thing that you do well and my husband jokingly says, because I love um, assessments and personality tests. And in my strength finder, it talks about that I have woo. And he's like, nobody has woo. Like, how did you even get woo in strength <laughs> <centers?"> <laughs> And I'm like, it aligns with my superpower. It's winning others over. Um, and so I think that has, in every role that I think about, it's really been a relationship process. And um, early in my career, it was my community service that connected me to my professional opportunities. I served on a number of community boards. And so I met people and leaders and board members and executives from other companies who said, I love the work that you're doing here. Let me take you and see if you can do the same work here for my company.
0: And for folks who um, have listened to that, I Choose a of podcast for a while, you know that, that I preach this at nauseum, right? Yeah. I've moved a lot. And so strategically for me, it's getting tapped into communities where I can meet people quickly. And it's not just about joining organizations. It's about joining organizations and then going a step further and either joining a committee and being active or being in leadership because that's where you get to know people more. Y'all know I'm a Delta you guys know i'm part of posse you know i'm part of a bunch of things and those have been the things that have opened doors um, way faster than my intellectual abilities could have because mm-hmm. they don't know how smart you are when they first meet you right and so when you know people quickly yeah um they tend to to trust you more and give you um access to more things um, as someone who has pivoted into different types of industries into different sectors what do you think are maybe some character traits or maybe some skills that make it easier for people to pivot?
1: I think one humbling yourself when you come into a new company and industry, because the other thing that people like to do when they're going into new spaces is be the know-it-all, right? And I say that jokingly, but most times people want to assure people that they made the right hire right this is a good choice for you and so i'm gonna come in i'm gonna know everything hit the ground running Um, i'm not gonna leave any space for myself to make mistakes and so i think for me what has been helpful is listening Um, my background is in communication and a big piece to me of communication is active listening if you're in a new space What you know is what you know, right? You have that on the bank, but you're in this space to grow and learn and do more. Mm -hmm. And the best way to do that is have a keen understanding of what's the business, what's the industry, who are the key players and the influencers in this company? How can I be intentional about the relationships I make in the very beginning that will set me up for success going forward? I don't think people spend enough time doing that and companies will rush you, right? Companies will say, we'll have time for you to do all that. We'll have time for you to go chit chat with all these people, do all these meetings, let's get to work. I think as the work begins, you still carve out that time for that relationship building and listening. I call it the listening tour. You need the listening tour for like three to six months because it helps you hone in on what's the job that I'm really here to do, but who are the people I need to work with to get this work done? Um so listening is is key right and being what, humble what if they're trying to
0: get into the space what if they're not in there yet mm, if they're not in a new industry yeah but they but they have a desire right so they they're yeah. like oh i want to go from banking to tech mm-hmm. or i want to go from communications to dni or like thinking about that yeah definitely connect with people that are in that space right model find
1: the people who You want to model and then befriend them, become their friend, right? If I can attest to LinkedIn has been a saving grace for me. I've met so many wonderful people through LinkedIn, and I—it's amazing when I talk to people. They're like, I'm not even on LinkedIn. I've never used. It. So I'm like, what are you doing? Use LinkedIn. It's such a powerful tool mm-hmm. because I think COVID has opened the door, and they've started to shut the door a little bit some now. But in the beginning of COVID, people were at home, and so you could reach out to anybody. I mean, mm-hmm. people who were completely unattainable to you would be responsive because they were at their computers. I think continuing to do that and be persistent, Um, Mm -hmm. be persistent, but not annoying. Those things are different. If someone says no, respect the no, Uh, Mm -hmm. find another loophole or another person who might be in that space. I have a tendency, as my friends say, I like to go to the top and work my way down. So if the person at the top doesn't respond to me, that's fine. There are at least a million other people under you that I can reach out to. The other is, like you said, joint organizations, right? If you're not in this space, um, I have this group called the DEI Collective and so many people reach out and it's super informal. People are like, where's the application? Fill out how much do I pay? I'm like, it's none of that. Okay, it's the email list it's above 180 people. It's not any of those things. And they're like, well, I'm interested in getting into the space. Can I join and just listen? I'm like, of course you can because that's how you connect with other people. And the people on the call are very responsive and open to you connecting to them. And so I think utilizing LinkedIn, find organizations or associations or groups that you can join that will expose you to individuals that are in that space, but also new learnings that are about that industry or that area that you wanna go into.
0: Um, Let's talk about DEI for a second. Um, I know that you were in a DEI role and then you transitioned out. Um, And if we're being honest, there are a lot of people who kind of give DEI practitioners the side eye, right? The narrative is that corporations hire these figureheads. They don't really do anything (laughs) for people of color. Um, But I, I think that people don't necessarily understand how heavy of a load DEI practitioners are carrying, right? And so as someone who has sat in that seat, one, what made you decide to take on a role like that in a company that's not necessarily known for diversity necessarily? And Mm -hmm. then what made you decide that it was time to transition out? Yeah.
1: So a couple of things about diversity, equity, and inclusion practitioners, leaders. I think For me, it looks very different than what it looked like 10 years ago, right? I share with you, I joined the regional bank. I was hired to do change management and leadership development, which to me were the best foundation building roles or skills. Again, I had no experience in those two either, but fortunately I worked for a learning uh, company that made sure they set you up for success. If they saw something in you, if you had the transferable skills, they positioned you for success in those spaces. I think both of those were the secret sauce to prepare me for this promotion they gave me to lead diversity and inclusion for a 150 year old regional bank, white male led conservative organization. Um, that was 12 years ago. And one of the executives said, we have hired you into the trifecta of crazy. He's like, you have three things. We've hired you to do change management. You're changing. My project was to remove people out of their offices because we were creating an open workspace. Now, it's a 150 year old bank, tenure of like 20 plus years. These leaders have been in offices forever. And these are humongous, you know, ivory tower corner offices. People are like, I don't want to work in a glass office or pee out in a cubicle farm. My other one was leadership development, teaching leaders who have been leading for 40 years how to be better leaders. And I think I might have been 30 or in my 20s. And they're like, what are you going to teach me? And how are you going to teach me? You haven't done anything. And then lastly, he said, now you're coming in. Tell us that we need to focus on different things and people who are different than we are. You have the trifecta of crazy. I don't know how we're going to help you through this, but you are clearly the right person for it. I say that because even though it was new for people, the appetite was different. Um, Their intentionality in trying to figure out how to do diversity, equity, and inclusion, people were more engaged in the process. Fast forward to 2020, when every company hired a chief diversity officer or VP of diversity, equity, and inclusion, I think the appetite was there, right? but they weren't really hungry for it. Everyone wanted someone to come to the table and do the work, but when you got to the work, they're like, oh, no, 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 that's too much. I don't want you to do that, right? Just kind of do a little bit because I think people wanted to, their heart was there, maybe, maybe their mind was there and their heart wasn't. Um, I don't think they knew how to execute on it. And I think still today, which is why you see so much turnover, You've hired all these leaders, but so many of them left three to six months in and said, this is foolish. You hired me with no budget, no team. I can't enact a strategy. I have no power to make any authoritative decisions or move us in the right direction. Why am I here? Right. I don't want to be here to be a figurehead. And so I get it. I get why people are like, this is a fake job. This is not real work. Mm-hmm. I think on the other side, you need someone in the company who spends their every day doing that, because in the absence of that, people will go through there. It's just like anything else. If it's not part of your day to day routine, you don't pay any attention to it. You go on doing all the other you know, things of the day, things that come up. And so I think having someone there as a formal practitioner to help open the eyes of leaders to say this is how it is woven into the work that you're doing, woven into your business practice or area department, and this is how you sustain it for the future and operationalize Mm -hmm. it, that is what companies need. Mm -hmm. The challenge is that is not what people want, right? I think they wanna focus on, there's a disconnect that how diversity, equity, and inclusion truly drives business. I think there are lots of articles. There's lots of research. There are some CEOs who have stepped up and who will sing the gospel and the praises, but there are many others that will not, right? They are focused on, I'm trying to go global or I'm trying to switch and be more tech savvy. And those are my focus areas or I wanna be more innovative. I don't have time to add on another checkbox. But what they're missing is diversity, equity, inclusion is not a checkbox. Mm-hmm. It is really the thing that's gonna sustain you as a company as we can talk about America Browning or the world changing and consumer is changing, mm-hmm. how are you going to meet that demand early on before you are too late to, to the party? So anyway, I say all that, I probably talked in circles. Um, it's a it's an exhausting job, right? Because it's mentally taxing for you because typically the person in that role is a person of color. Um, if you're a person of color and you're a woman, you know, and you're part of LGBTQ+, there's so many layers, right, that you're trying to deal with on an individual basis. Then you approach the organization. Um, my like must have changed. You come into an organization, people don't realize that you become an internal therapist. People come to you and pour and pack on all of their problems because there's miss or distrust with HR, or you're just a new person to listen. So they're like, let me just share it with you. Mm -hmm. And they bring all of their mental trauma to you. And so not only are you trying to grapple through your own trauma, you've now packed on that of 50, you know, 200,000 employees who might be coming to you. And how do you withstand that? How do you go forward? How do you think strategically about this work when you're really trying day to day to put out small fires and help other people just make it? They're like, I just, am, I just am trying to make it in this work environment, and I can't mm. because I'm different. Mm-hmm. And I tell people all the time, at the simplest form, DEI is about helping people see difference as an asset and not a liability. Mm. That if you can see the value of having different people, different thought, different races, age, gender, etc., and that's a value to you, then you understand why it's important in your company.
0: Mm. Um, and you've decided to, at least in your day-to-day, right? I feel like as a person of color, as a black person, as a black woman, you yeah. think about race all the time. Like we live this, but you live, live it. it, you live it right? Like it doesn't yeah. turn on and off. Yeah. You decided to not have that be the core of your, of your day-to-day work. How did you know that it was time to move on? I started um, the conversation saying that there are a lot of people who are listening to this who are at a crossroads and they're trying yeah. to figure out you know, if where they are is where they should stay. And so mm-hmm. for you, how did you figure out or decide yeah. what was going to be next? I didn't
1: decide it, right? I think um, I prayed heavy about it because I am a person who has always worked. I've always had it. And when I say work, cause my husband's like wonders work too, but it's different. I've always had a nine to five, right? That has been my um, safety net forever. And I had dreams of being an entrepreneur, but I only had dreams of being an entrepreneur on the side. I don't know if I ever had dreams of being a full-time entrepreneur and not a nine-to-five. Mm-hmm. And so I prayed to God for clarity because I realized early on in this role that I was burnt out and not burnt out from this job or this role or this work, but I just was burnout. period. I think the role that I had before this... Um, was one that required a lot of my time, a lot of mental attention, and I loved it, right? I worked for United Way, I was their chief communications and engagement officer. It was a hodgepodge, another trick bag job. It was a hodgepodge of all the things that I've done before, PR, volunteer, community engagement, corporate engagement, events, everything. But when I like something and I'm really passionate about it, I go hard. and I go too hard without any boundaries. And I think, what I carried over from the United Way to SACS is that I had not created boundaries for myself and my family in a work environment. And mm-hmm. so what happened is that just compounded, right? I didn't do well. I felt the burnout brewing, I think, in that prior role, and I didn't address it. And it's crazy. I was just giving, I just gave this talk to, um, at a conference about burnout and I told my husband, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is me. This is where I was. I was living in burnout. I talked about there's five stages, right? There's the honeymoon, the bouncing act, the crisis stage is like your middle point. And then you get to burnout. And then the last, the fifth stage is habitual burnout. And they call it enmeshment, where you learn how to function day to day, completely burnout. You are mentally, emotionally, physically tapped out. But somehow you are going through the day like a zombie. That's how I've probably been living the last five years, five or six years. And so when I got to sex and I think trying to build this strategy in an environment right where this was new. I mean, they had done some work, but um, it had not been long term, you know, 10, 20 30-year company or company that's been doing this work for that long. Mm-hmm. And I think building a strategy, bringing on leaders, seeing we had our own change of them selling the company, going from truly brick and mortar to being a dot-com company, you mm-hmm. had such a convergence of changes happening. It was hard for me to keep up, hard for employees to keep up. And so I just prayed. I said, God, I need you to figure out a way for me to step away and have a break. Right? I need a sabbatical. I need time where I don't do anything. I don't want to work. I don't want to do wonder. I don't want to talk to people. I don't want to go speak. I don't want to sit on the board. Like, I just want to be quiet and be with my kids, my husband, nothing else. And so I prayed for it over and over again. And then I got to a point where I got concerned, right? I thought, I feel like this is what happens. People have a breakdown, um, mm-hmm. that I'm on the verge of that. And I didn't know how to walk away from her. I I felt like, again, I was passionate about being in this space. And you asked me, you know, why go to an organization that had not had a long history of doing this work? All of my prior roles have been new roles, right? New, um, newly created positions in a company. And so something about my personality likes that challenge. It likes that builder, creator, creator. Place in in occupation, and so for me, this was that. It was just another thing for me to overcome. That I can be the person to build this, come up with a strategy, share it with the team, we implement it, integrate it, and move forward. Um, but I think the burnout was the part that was keeping me from being who I normally am when I show up in a workplace. Um, so anyway, I that's why I pursued the role. But I think that prayer is what transitioned me out of the role. And I prayed about it. Towards the end, I prayed about it over and over and over again. And and um, just one day it happened and had a conversation with my leader and they talked about me moving to New York. And I think that was like the, the breaking point because I couldn't move. My husband and I had talked about moving, but he was like, I will only move for a role where you feel like you're fully you. You can show up as who you are. You're happy. It's a great place for you to be. And you're not burnt out. If that is the case, I'm not moving. We're not moving our whole family for that. Mm -hmm. And the timeline of when they wanted me to move was probably two months, maybe a month and a half or two at the top of the year. And so I thought, oh, this is the sign, right? This is the easy sign for me to walk away from. Um, And so for me, that was it. I think though, for other people, we know when we get to the end, when we get to the edge, we can't take anymore. Mm -hmm. The challenge is... Fear totally creeps in, um, fear, complacency and safety, right? This is my safety space. This is my safe space. This brings home my check every day, right? Or this is how I sustain the lifestyle that I want to live or um, I've been doing this. I don't know what else to do. I'm not sure enough of myself that if I walk away from this, that I can do something else.
0: Mm-hmm. And I've
1: heard people say, you'll be okay. Okay a friend of mine and i I laugh and i cry when she's when i think about it she's like look entrepreneurs have to walk away from jobs all the time and say i'm not gonna let myself starve i'm not gonna let my kids starve so what by any means necessary whatever i need to do i will be okay her other thing is you're not a dummy so if you're not a dummy you know any day you can go get a job there's plenty of people hiring it might not be your best career move but you can go get a job that will help take care of you and your family Mm -hmm. and now that I have stepped away, it was such a. And when the conversation happened, I remember telling my husband, I couldn't be sad. Like, I wanted to be sad because I'm always sad about leaving a company or leaving a team. But I felt so relieved, right? That I knew what I had prayed for was this time away of just being, right? And doing nothing and stopping, stop thinking, right? Um, was coming. And so I was excited, <laughs> like, oh my God, it's here. And I've never experienced it, but whatever it is, it sounds like it's about to be great. I am so ready for it. And I continue to tell people, they're like, are you going to go back? Do you want to go back to a job and, you know, pursue? I said, I can't tell you no, but I haven't gotten to that point where I'm like, I'm bored. I've got to go back to nine to five. Mm -hmm. I'm content. This Mm -hmm. is, this is probably what I needed years ago. And I just didn't, I didn't make the right steps to do it. Um, and it wasn't grave enough, I think, for God to step in for me. So this time it was, and he stepped in. And mighty way, I am relieving myself from burnout and enmeshment um, so that I can walk into my future a different person and never, ha- never allow that to happen again. I preach boundaries to people all the time because it's the little things that add up for us that become big things that will affect us mentally, physically, and emotionally.
0: So- mm. And so with that being in that headspace, right, I think when people start companies, Mm -hmm. there's sometimes a pressure to like grow big, do this big thing. So knowing where you are mentally Mm -hmm. and what you've started, like what is the vision for it? Because I know that there are people who feel pressure and a bit of imposter syndrome when they make that leap over to the other side of like, I'm supposed to be doing this. I was so successful in corporate. Now I can't have this thing that's not really doing well. And, and so, yeah. but you also are approaching it from a, I, I, I know what it feels like to be burnt out. And so I'm yeah. not trying to recreate that yeah. in a company that I own. So like, What's the vision for wonder?
1: Yeah. Well, two things I want to share and I'll share with this audience that I don't, I think I've only shared it with two people. And when I first said it, I cried, I cried forever because just to say the words, I think were, it was um, a relief that even though I have walked away and said, I'm going to do wonderful time that I have my own mental model that I have to overcome. Right. I think we define our childhood. I mean, we define our success from childhood, right? I think about how I define success came from my mother. And she was a woman who worked multiple jobs, not because she had to, because she wanted to, like, she didn't like idle time. She also mm-hmm. liked to find her things in life. And so um, she was like, "What well, by any means necessary. And I repeat that because it had become my psyche, which damaging to creating boundaries. Um, By any means necessary, I will continue on this path. And so for her and for me, having multiple jobs was a norm. I met my husband. He was like, I'm not, I don't understand. We're not, why do you need another job? We don't need another job. Just work the one job you have. Do one thing. (laughs) And he's like, I'm not getting another. My job is fine. I'm not getting another job. So that was one thing I learned about redefining success because for me success was ascending in leadership in these corporate environments or in these not even corporate just work environments it's nine to five it did not equate to leadership in entrepreneurship for me an entrepreneur was really a part-time thing it would always be something on the side of my full-time job but as you know it's hard for you to grow anything on the side um, it's, a, it's a modern miracle the people who have. So uh, they really have no boundaries and they are exhausted and completely burned out, but they've made it. And so um, I think for me, Wonder, my vision for is really to have a, a presence in corporate entities to help make sure that workplaces are designed to see women and mothers thrive because so often we're the majority in a number of workplaces, but they're still designed to meet the needs of men, right? We haven't changed policies, mm-hmm. rules. Everything when you go into a company is really with this archaic mindset. And so you have these powerhouse women who are coming into this, into this environment, this culture. It's not designed for them. Then you add on a layer of a woman of color or a black woman. That's definitely not designed for us. Mm-hmm. I have this argument with black men all the time that when you go into male dominated environments, like when I was at the bank, yes, black men in America have it very hard and very difficult. And this is controversial listeners. So you disagree. Totally fine. It's called um, that they have it extremely hard. But I think when you go into the work world, especially in male-dominated spaces, women of color at the bottom of that totem pole. Because if you are working in an organization that's led by men, if nothing else, a white male will accept a male of color because they share that male bond, right? There's something there that connects them. For a woman of color, you're still at the bottom, right? A white woman, a white man, they can find, again, something that's commonality and connection. But that black woman or that woman of color, is the furthest from them. And so it takes a lot of stretching and development and self-awareness for them to be okay with this person in a leadership position. Mm-hmm. And so what's happening on the woman's side is that you are fighting through all of that learning that the other person has to go through, right? Mm-hmm. Every day you're trying to show up and help this person overcome as you're trying to succeed in a sin. So for me, long story short, is to make sure that our workplaces and environments are places of well-being and joy for people. Because if you're creating a space or if you're perpetuating a space that is not designed for women to succeed, mothers to thrive, then as the future goes and you see more and more women who are graduating from school, who are getting top honors, who are stepping up and stepping out, how are you going to attract but also retain that talent because your environment is not designed for them to succeed or thrive. Mm -hmm. So for me, Wonder, I feel like that is my growth strategy is to make sure that I'm working with companies to do that. Of course, continue this membership um, base because I think the connections different from a mentor or a sponsorship relationship. It's a, it's like a burst relationship, right? It's what I need right now. If I need something right now, you are connected to this person that can help you on this one year journey to get there. Mm -hmm. I always share this story because, and I won't say which, but one of my workplaces, I asked the person to be a mentor of mine. I've never been turned, actually once. I've only been turned down from a mentor once, but it was my, I felt like it was God. I was being sneaky about it. It was the person that worked in one of my companies and he was the furthest person to support diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I only wanted him to be my mentor because I was going to somehow convert this person to be the number one champion to get and understand why this is important. Um, but I think other people saw through my, my magic and said no. But this is a woman, right? I asked this woman to be my mentor and I was struggling in this workplace. I think this is another, another time when I realized I was at the end and at the edge. And she, she called me and it was very personal. She was like, you know, you don't need me to be your mentor. I mean, I'm here if you need me, but you don't need me to do that, right? You don't need that kind of relationship. You are great, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I thought to myself, I'm not asking you to be like my Girl Scout mentor where I talk to you every week about my life and what's going on. This is my cry out for help. And me asking you to be my mentor, and if you could have given me that yes, right, this would assure me that I can continue on this path and I have an ally that's going to help me move forward. Mm -hmm. I think that no and hearing that no was like, this is not This is not a place, right, that I want to see see myself continue down this path Mm -hmm. because this person doesn't even realize that there is a need for her to be a mentor to someone else, um, another woman of color um, in this place, in this organization. So I don't want to see that happen to other women. I want to make sure they have the connections they need and the joy that they need to source to continue to go forward and they can live a thriving life. Mm, I love that.
0: Um, So we're going to head to the lightning round questions. And for these ones, don't think too much about them. Just like the first thing that comes to your mind. Mm -hmm. Um, What's one piece of career advice you wish you had gotten earlier in your career? I say it all the time. What's meant for you, is meant for you. Mm -hmm. We spend so much
1: time focused on things that aren't meant for us. So pride yourself on the things that are meant for you, are meant for you.
0: What's the career lesson that took you the longest to learn, but has had the most significant impact on your career? Um, That leaders are
1: often, um, what's the word? Insecure. That a lot of people that you see in top companies carry a lot of insecurities. And so the anger, the issues, the challenges that you are faced when you interact with them, it's not you typically. It's that person. They are trying to mask their insecurities. And so give people grace, extend grace, and know that the only way to help move forward with them is to extend the same grace that you want somebody to give you.
0: Um, I'm finishing up my my MBA at the University of Booth School of Business. And one of the classes that I'm taking is called Culture as a Competitive Business Advantage. Ooh. And we just had this conversation last week where it was, how do you manage a manager who maybe is Um, negative or snarky or whatever and what I told them is a lot of the times you may be unconsciously triggering an insecurity but you don't know but an opportunity is figuring out the insecurities and if you so choose helping to uh, fill that gap for them right or helping in partnership um, or just uh, avoiding if you're not going to help at least don't trigger it Um, but a lot of times we think that because people have these titles and they have these roles, they've been working for years that it means that they are a certain type of person. And more often than not, the, the higher you get, the more pressure, the more you are afraid that the things that are, that you consider deficit deficits will end up in like the spotlight. And so that sometimes causes people to act a certain way.
1: Well, we think leaders are masters of emotional intelligence and most leaders are not because you've number of leaders who never led anyone and then they were handpicked and put into a top executive role and they've never managed a person. They barely can manage themselves. And so you see all these things trickle and come into play in the workplace and you're like, who are you? Like, and how you did get this job? How? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, You're handpicked. <laughs> <laughs> what is one book that you could read over and over again?
1: There. Dear... No. Oh, it's another book that I like. Oh, first break all the rules. Mm-hmm. I love that book. First break all the rules, and nice girls don't get the corner office. My mm-hmm. friend thinks it's cheesy, but I still think nice girls don't get the corner office is a very relevant book. It is an old book. Um, and it is a different way of
0: thinking about nice,
1: but I think it's a good book to read.
0: If Forbes was doing a cover story on your career, what would the headline Thank be? Forrest. What would the headline be? <laughs> uh, magic Made. Mm. Um, and then we all know that decisions about your career are going to be made when you are not in the room. So, what do you hope people are saying about you when you're not in the room?
1: I hope people are saying that. We value the strengths that Lori brings because she's a great relationship builder. She's a great listener, but she also helps us collaborate so that we can think innovatively to move things forward.
0: And on that note, thank you, Lori. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Now I told you all that Lori dropped some gems and so I hope that there are some things that you heard that you can take away and apply to wherever you are on your career journey. But you all know I like to end every episode with the top three things that I took away. The first one is the concept of a loving dream crusher, right? We all have well-intentioned people in our lives who based on their own fears, their own experiences, their own dreams, their own outlooks on life may unintentionally crush our dreams Right, by giving us advice that maybe is not right for us. And so, So thinking through how you engage with the unintentional, loving dream crushes in your life, I think is going to be incredibly important as you navigate your professional world. The second thing is your career progression is actually not a ladder. I talk to a lot of you who get frustrated, right? Because you feel like you may have to make a lateral move or you're not progressing as quickly as everybody else and you're not going up, up, up. But sometimes, and Lori confirmed this, you got to take a step to the side or a step back right? In order to leap two or three levels or two or three steps forward. And so don't be discouraged if you feel like you're not going up a ladder, that you're kind of in a jungle gym or that you're, you know, in an obstacle course, because sometimes moving backwards actually accelerates your progression forward. And then Lastly, knowing what your professional non-negotiables are, right? So there are people who because of where they live or the industry that they're in, right? They may feel pressured to make decisions like moving or to take a job that's way outside of the field that they want to be in. And I think that being clear on what your professional boundaries are, what you're willing to compromise on, and what your non-negotiables are prior to being in a situation where you need to tap into that helps give you the confidence, right, in those conversations because you already know what you're willing to do and what you're not willing to do um, in pursuit of whatever pro- professional aspirations that you may have. Now, as always, I love to keep the conversation going and you can connect with me on Instagram at IChooseTheLadder or on LinkedIn at I Choose the Ladder or on YouTube at I Choose the Ladder. And until next time, thank you for listening.